Hello, friends. Have you noticed that you can get caught up in consuming content? Or maybe you notice you are hyper, hyper focused on the doing. Empaths, we often consume. And I know because that was me too, soaking up information from all my favorite teachers and mentors. But it wasn't until I started focusing more on the being and embodiment work that the door to massive clarity was finally unlocked. And I no longer got confused about what was my energy versus everybody else's. I was able to become a more clear channel for creation and as a result, transform my life, business, and health. In fact, my meditation and embodiment practice is what helped me have a nearly $40,000 month this past January, see the highest downloaded month of the podcast, and finally release a lot of unnecessary stress. And my clients felt it and saw it in their lives too. It wasn't reading more articles. It wasn't doing more busy work. So I'm inviting you to graduate from the spongy empath consumer into the self-activated sovereign healer. You can take your podcast listening experience from, ooh, I feel seen, heard, and inspired to, holy shit, I actually feel different. My being has shifted. I am the embodiment of the woman I desire to be. The Third Eye Collective is a simple way to upgrade your experience and commit not only to a meditation practice that complements your healing, but also receive personalized coaching so you can be clear on what direct actions to implement into your highest goals. There are two simple ways to get involved at $11 or $22 a month with no commitment. So if this is calling your name, join this amazing and growing community. Welcome to the Healing Uncensored podcast. My name is Sarah Small, and I'm a life and success coach for empaths who want to create a thriving body, business, and life. Healing my own chronic illnesses as an empath led me to become fascinated with energy and more specifically, all of the emotional, spiritual, and holistic healing modalities my doctor never told me about. I began to share my insights and journey online and over time built a powerful community and business supporting women who were also on the pathway to healing. Think of this podcast as your uncensored and no BS guide to navigating life, health, and entrepreneurship as an empath. You'll get no nonsense and totally holistic tips from me in real time as I navigate this healing journey right beside you. Now, let's get started. Today's guest is Katie DePaula. She is an entrepreneur, author, and founder of Inner Glow Circle, an accredited training and certification company for women coaches, leaders, and entrepreneurs. Right after starting the Inner Glow Circle, Katie lost her brother to an accidental overdose. She's also a Lyme disease survivor, building her business from her bathtub. She grew the company from a self-funded startup to a million-dollar business. Katie says that her greatest challenges have turned into her greatest opportunities, and her business is what saved her life. I relate to Katie's journey and story on a deep, deep soul level, and our conversation today is real, it is raw, it is down to earth, and we talk a lot about navigating loss while also running and building an empire. Let's dive in. Hi, Katie. I am delighted to have you on the show today. We were just talking about, before we pressed record, how much we like almost eerily have in common. I'm just so glad to have you on today. 
Yeah, I'm super excited. I'm also really scared. I'm nervous. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a lot of overlaps in um, our challenges in the traumas that we've experienced as human beings in this lifetime. And so I'd love for you to just start by allowing the audience to, to get to know you and your story better. Sure. Yeah, I'm happy to. Thank you so much for having me. And um, I, I, I know that there's going to be some magic that comes out of today and um, that our brothers are probably all conspiring yeah. in some way on the other side. I know. Right? I actually had, I just want to put this in there real quick. I had a lot of like, um, like feelings. I had a lot of energy kind of come up within my heart before I jumped on with you today. And I was like, okay, Jordan and Joe, like come one on the right side, one on the left side. Like I, uh-huh. need, I need you for this. Like this is going to be potentially like a lot of emotion. And yeah. I called them in beforehand and just was like, please help me. <laughs> oh. um, well, I'm already crying. Those of you listening can't see, but I'm already crying. So yeah, we'll see where this goes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so anyways, uh, you guys know Sarah a lot better than me probably, but um, I mean, you know, she could write a lot of my story. So I, my story really starts with what what a lot of people's stories start with in that I was I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. I, I graduated from Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt, so I went to a great school, mm-hmm. and I moved right to New York City, which was sort of the dream, at least for me. I worked in a couple different jobs. I was in like fashion PR, and then I was working at a marketing firm, and I was um, really learning how to sell and getting some really great sales training in the startup that I was working for, and they were growing really fast, and it was an exciting time. Um, but I just wasn't feeling fulfilled, and so the you know the long and short of it is that one day I I I left my cubicle, I went into the bathroom, locked the door, called my dad, and was like, "Is this is is this how?" I, how life is supposed to be. Like, I thought I was like going out into the big world and going to be able to, to really make a difference and feel excited about my life and my work. And I just didn't feel that way. And he said, um, you know, Katie work is work sometimes, but it, it shouldn't, it shouldn't suck every day. It shouldn't be hard every day. You should, you should love what you're doing. And if you love what you're doing, it's not going to feel like quote unquote work, right? Like, yeah. like every person says. Mm-hmm. And so I, I took that to heart and I started to figure out how to leave my job and, and I moved home and I started a, a side business. I started a beauty business that I called whole glow. And ultimately that led me to start coaching because I had this really interesting experience where um, you know, if you've ever gotten an airbrush spray tan, you're, you're stripping down naked. And I was like the one spray tanning, right? So I'm like getting into all the cracks and crevices. And what happened was as I was running this beauty business and, and spray tanning all these women, they were starting to really open up and share stories about their lives. Yeah. And I realized that if that was happening, I must have some sort of gift, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, I was enrolled in a master's program in nutrition at the time. Cause I did that when I left New York. Cause I thought that was what I was most passionate about was health. Yeah. And I dropped out of that program and I decided to go through a coach training program and I became a coach. Mm-hmm. And so that was like my, my pre IGC story. And then I, I coached for a few years and as you know, as a, in a private practice in, in my private practice. Mm-hmm. And I realized like if I was going to make real money and if I was going to re- make a real impact, I needed to scale the business in some way. I wanted yeah. to scale the business. And so I brought on a team of coaches. Some of them were like previous clients of mine. Some of them were colleagues in the field. 
And I said, Hey, I'm, I'm starting this business business. It's called inner glow circle. Mm-hmm. I'd love for you to come on and, and be a coach with us. And we're going to have a certification program. We're going to have this and that. And it was all just a big pipe dream at that yeah. point. Right. And so years later, like I'm incredibly proud of myself. We have a, a ICF accredited program. So we're accredited by the international coach federation. We have hundreds and hundreds of, of graduates from our program. We have a network of thousands of women. Um, and you know, we're, we're really like changing lives every day. And that was my goal. But here's like the weird part about my story. And I'm so glad, like, I'm so, so grateful that I, I, I found my purpose essentially before all of this tragedy hit my life, because I say this all the time and I'm sure you feel the same way, but in a lot of ways, my business saved my life. Yeah. Like the fact that when I was sick with Lyme disease and I was bedridden for a period of time, the fact that when I was sick and, and um, when I was going through all the loss that I was going through, that I had something to wake up for literally saved my life. Mm-hmm. Like literally kept me from dying, right? Mm-hmm. Whether that's like literally or figuratively, it, it felt right. like both in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And so I got diagnosed with chronic neurological Lyme disease in January of 2014, which for those who know um, or don't know is when Lyme has gotten to your brain. And so I was diagnosed as having brain damage. I had damage to my organs. And the way I finally figured it out was that I lost feeling in half of my body. And scary so scary. And, and I tell this story in my book, which I'm, I'm getting ready to publish a little bit later this year. But what happened was like the paralysis started to creep up into my face. And I was like, Oh my God, if I get facial paralysis, that might not go away. Mm -hmm. And so it became like a vanity thing. Yeah. I was like, I need to handle this. And that's when I, I finally kind of admitted to myself because at that point I had, you know, done Google research till my fingers fell off. But (laughs) at that point I sort of knew And I think that's one of the hardest parts of chronic illness is like, there's so much talk about like these invisible illnesses and and Lyme is definitely one of them, but we know when something's wrong. Totally. We know when something's wrong with our bodies. And I just knew that was something was wrong and, and I just didn't, I didn't want to fully admit it. I I wasn't fully ready to heal. Yeah. And so- Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say that a second ago, you you mentioned a a really powerful statement that like made me want to tear up, which was that you feel your business saved your life. Yeah. And like, I feel the same way that I launched, I was in a draining underpaid, you know, position when Jordan died almost, we were just talking about almost five years ago now. And, and it was through his death that what woke me up to, I'm not happy. This is not the way I want to live. I already had chronic illness, illness issues as well. Yeah. And like leaving that job and having the courage to do what, what I was feeling like my heart actually wanted to wake up every morning and fucking do. That was part of what kept me going. I'm doing something that makes me want to wake up in the morning, that makes me want to show my face to the world and not crawl into a fucking hole and, and like, like you said, like figuratively or literally die because there was fear of dying because of chronic illness issues. But there was also this like more figurative, figurative fear of, of dying of like, I'm just, I don't, 
what, who am I, what is this life all about kind of death of like the soul. And so having something to wake up to and be passionate about was so, so helpful and potentially life-saving. I'm just so glad that you brought that up. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like, I think we can get, we'll get deeper into this, but it's so important that you're happy. Mm-hmm. Like figure out how to be happy or how to be a little bit happy or how to be happy at least some point every day or, and happiness to me, like was such a far fetched thing. I was like, fuck you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if anyone was like, write a gratitude list. I'm yeah. like, oh gosh. <laughs> you know? And so I, that kind of stuff made me really angry when I was yeah. going through my healing process. So anyways, let, let me explain Keep this going, to yeah. our, our, our listeners up, but I got diagnosed with Lyme disease and I was going through treatment and I was doing okay. It was, it was pretty tough on, on my body and it was pretty, really tough on my mind, but I was still coaching and I, I could coach. That's like the beauty of, of the coaching world and being, you know, having a chronic illness is like, you can still work. Whereas like you might be on disability in, in a typical corporate job, you can still work and you can still have something to live for and to get for every morning. So Mm -hmm. that was huge for me that I was like, cause it was like physically painful, like to get it, get up and go to an office. And I was like working from home more and more. And it got to the point where it was like, what am I doing? Like, can I just do coaching full time? And will that be enough Mm -hmm. for me to make a living for myself so that I can keep, you know, this, the spoons that I have, right. For like all our spoonies out there. So, so, um, so I I was living and and working and, and trying to navigate Lyme disease and and that treatment. I started IGC at um, the beginning of 2015. Mm -hmm. And it was weird because when I was looking at your podcast last night and, um, podcast 100 you were you're talking about your the loss of your latest brother and it just hit me the number hit me because exactly 100 days after we started the company mm-hmm. I got a call that my brother my brother had passed away mm-hmm. and Bo was 20 years old and um he he passed away from an, an overdose accidental um and it was a massive tragedy. I mean, there's just like no words to even describe no. the experience. There's but not. It's so hard to wrap up the chaos that comes after death like that into into a sentence or even into words that like really identify what you were truly experiencing at that time. It, it's hard to describe. Yeah. And like, I'm at the point now where like, you know, I'm like, and, and, and my, um, grandfather who I was very, very close to and had a big impact on my life passed away last October. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that was something we knew was coming, but you can probably relate to this. Like a a completely unexpected death is, is one thing. And and that in itself can cause a lot of trauma and, and post-traumatic stress. And then a planned death is like a whole nother thing. Like not planned, but like expected. Right. Because it's like, I spent months just like, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? Right. So I was like living in that, um, like psychosomatic cycle Mm -hmm. again and again and again for, and then the day he finally passed away, like my system was sort of like, okay, like it, you know, it happened because 
when you're caught up in, in trauma like that, you just, it's so hard to get out of it. Like it's so hard to get your body to stop experiencing it. I mean, this is post-traumatic stress. It took me a long time to know that that was what I had and to get a diagnosis, but PTSD is like a very, very real thing. Yeah, absolutely. And we, even though that death of a grandparent that is more, okay, like, you know, that's the, that's more the natural way of the earth is like our grandparents die before we do, not our younger siblings or siblings in general. And uh, so two years after Jordan died, my, my grandmother died and it was on my 30th birthday and she was 80 years old. And it was, I, I'm just, again, relating to a lot of what you were saying, because even though she had a, a long life, she was, you know, 80 years old and, and she was ready to go. I really believe she was truly ready, ready to go, but there was the the buildup and the discomfort of her being in pain uh, and, and, you know, still not being able to say goodbye because she was in a different state that triggered a lot of that, like, mm, just like, like pouring down of grief that came with Jordan. So even though it was something that was uh, more of a natural process, it still hurt and it still rocks you. And it triggers a lot of that fear that, we start to live in, if we're not careful, we start to live in that place of, of fear. Now it's interesting though, because, because there's a fear that comes up after uh, this accidental overdose of your, your brother, Bo at, at 20 years old. Yet there's so many women I talk to who w one of their main fears is starting a business. And yet you kept going and you kept moving forward with this business, even though this extremely fearful traumatic thing happened in your life what kept what kept you going like what made you keep waking up after a hundred days into your business that's not long like what made you keep going and building this this empire that you have I just really it's a great question people ask me all the time but it's just like I just really believed that this was my purpose mm -hmm. I, I didn't really see myself as like having like quitting being an option yeah you know and so I just, I'm quite stubborn. I think that comes from my Italian side and I'm, I'm quite impatient. Right. And so I, I just, I just knew, I just knew and I just believed and I just, I kept going. And I also had surrounded myself with really great people. And so that's why I say, I'm so glad that I'm so, you know, grateful that I had started to set the foundation for this stuff. I mean, a hundred days in, in a startup is really, really, really young, you know, like preemie status. But I had started to set the foundation enough that I, I had some foundation and I had people around me and we had clients, you know, like that's the other thing that I had people to serve. Yeah. And the only thing some days, I'm sure you can relate to this, but the only thing some days that would get me out of my own grief, even if it was for an hour or two hours or three hours, was getting on the phone or getting on to Zoom with somebody else and listening to their problems. Yeah. <laughs> because then I realized like grief puts you in this, like this, this funnel, right? This like gives you this tunnel, tunnel vision. Mm -hmm because your body is just so uncomfortable. And whether that's grief because you, you're dealing with an illness or grief because you 
lost somebody you love or grief because you lost a job or grief because of a breakup or grief because of anything you thought was going to happen and you were counting on Mm -hmm. was just taken away from you. Mm -hmm. And maybe in the end, you'll figure out like it was taken away from you for a positive reason. People talk all the time about the silver lining and I I like to call it the glow in the dark. And Mm. my belief is not so much that like, you know, it presents itself. My belief is like you fucking create it. Mm -hmm. Like you create the silver lining, you create the glow in the dark. Yeah. Because it's easy to just stay in the dark and just be like, sucks. Nothing. There's nothing good. I can even imagine that could ever come out of this versus creating the silver lining that is like, no, I'm choosing to see a lesson, a bright spot, some glow within this horrible experience that that was challenging. And it's not discounting how heavy that was. It's allowing you to gain, I think, the lessons and the growth from it, choosing consciously to do that. Right. And, you know, I, I, I have a practice now, Sarah, that I've developed and I'm sure you have some version of this, but, um, this is really like the premise of, of my book, which will come out later this year. And it's called, at least you look good. And maybe (laughs) we can talk more about that title, but, um, but my practice now, when anything happens that I'm like, are you kidding me? Like really, you know, whether it's a big thing or a small thing or a medium thing or a personal thing or a work thing or, or both, I have this practice and I'm religious about it. And the practice is this. I ask myself a hundred times or until I get an answer, what's the opportunity? Mm. What's the opportunity? What's the opportunity? What's the opportunity? What's the opportunity? I will do it with huge things. I will do it with tiny, tiny, tiny things. And, you know, it, it's like, it, this requires you to like function a bit delusionally, like a bit differently than, um, or, or quote unquote delusionally, right? Like I say, like being happy is like positive brainwashing. Like you just have to continually brainwash yourself into being happy, into focusing on the good things mm-hmm. because there is so much stuff in our world, both in our personal lives and in our larger society in the US and and far beyond that is really 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 bad. Mm-hmm. And if you focus on that, that will be your experience of life. And if you completely ignore it, that's not healthy either. I don't think. No, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like if you if you know I'll talk to some people in like the spiritual community and they're like, "Oh, I haven't watched the news in a decade." And I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Like what planet are you on, right? Yeah. We might be from somewhere else, but we're ultimately on earth right now. Like you have to participate in life. And you said something a, a few minutes ago where you said um, that it feels easier to like give up sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Or it feels easy to stay in that place of like, everything's bad, everything's dark. It, it feels, it's easy to stay in the dark. I think yes. that's what you said. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree with you. And also what happened for me was like, I got really, really tired and bored of being in that dark victim place. And totally. I was a victim and you have been a victim. And a lot of the people that are listening to this have actually been victims, whether it's to an illness or to, you know, to some disease or to an abusive relationship or an abusive boss, or, I mean, there's so many things, right? Like people who are saying like, oh, you're just in a victim mindset. Like just, 
just switch your mindset or just get responsible or how did you create this? Like we're not creating all the fucked up shit that's happening in our world. What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. But I also do believe in the law of attraction in that at some point we are continually choosing to relive and relive and relive and relive. And for me, getting out of that cycle meant a lot of therapy Mm -hmm. and a lot of different types of therapy, not just talk therapy. Yeah. And it meant a lot of like body work and, and it meant getting rid of my Lyme. I eventually found a doctor who could cure me after 30 doctors had told me that would never happen. Wow. And so like, but I, it only happened because I kept asking like, what's the opportunity And then my other question that I always am asking myself is like, what's actually possible? Mm. Not what's probable, not what's practical or likely, but what's actually possible. I love that. It allows you to step out of like our conscious mind and what we, the control really of like what we think is going to happen or could happen and allows us to open up to the magic of this world that we, that we do live in, that sometimes we, we forget is there because of the darkness and of the challenge and of the trauma, but it's so possible for us to find the opportunities and start to realize what is like, just, yeah, possible in the mirror, like the miracle style results and shifts and changes that we can have in our life. And I, I'm just also really curious to know about your brother, Katie, what was your brother like? Oh, um, it's so interesting. People rarely ask me that question. I think that's a really good question for those of you guys who are listening, who like know somebody who's going through something. I think it's so hard to know how to be there for people when someone dies. I, I feel like I got like maybe a little bit better at it, but I'm still sort of like, oh my God, you know, tragedy is such a weird experience because it just doesn't affect you. It affects all your relationships because all of a sudden you're this person that had something happen and some people know how to deal with that and some people don't. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you can relate to this too, but I would tell people like, it's not just that I lost my brother. Like my parents lost a child. Like Mm -hmm. the people who birthed me, who I love so much lost a child. So like, I have to also deal with that. Yeah. That I lost a brother. It changes Everybody, your entire family dynamic. Yeah. And I remember like being mad at like some of my cousins. Cause like, I felt like they weren't there for me. And then one day I was like, dude, they lost a cousin. Yeah. They're going through something too. Like, why am I so, I don't know if it was cocky or righteous. I think it's righteousness. I was pretty righteous about my grief. I was pretty righteous about my loss and what I was going through. And I mm-hmm. felt re- really like I had been done too, you know? And yeah. I didn't, when I woke up and realized that that was how I was operating, I was really disappointed in myself because that wasn't how I wanted to be operating and functioning. And I think ultimately going through the loss of my brother made me be so much more responsible about every part of my life. Mm -hmm. I don't think I would have found a doctor who could cure my Lyme if I hadn't gone through losing my brother Mm because I think it ended up motivating me Mm -hmm. in a really specific way. But I love the question. It's a great question. And for those of you who know someone who's lost somebody and you don't want to touch it with a 10 foot pole, I encourage you to go at them with, you know, cozy blankets and a box of tissues, whether literally or, or figuratively and, and ask them questions like, what was your brother like, you know, and yeah. they'll tell you if they're not ready to talk about it, but in general, people want 
you know, I saw you want to remember them. I know I love being asked about my brothers and just being able to, to share how amazing they were. And, you know, I, again, I don't, I'm excited to hear what your answer is, but with Joe, we didn't have a shiny, perfect relationship. It just wasn't that way. Yet I still loved the shit out of him. And I still love to talk about him because he was still an, a huge, immense part of my life, even though we didn't always get along. And it is, it's, I think people are afraid to, mm-hmm. to ask questions like that of, you know, what was he like? You know, is there a story that you want to share about him? How does he inspire you today that people are just too afraid to ask? But I don't, again, I I don't know about you, but for me, it's like, I want to talk about him. Let me have a stage. Let me have the platform to be able to. Right. I saw this like meme or whatever the other day. And it was memes, not the right word. Cause usually those are funny. This was like a little more dark and dark. It was like, you know, if, if, if you know someone who's lost someone, don't be afraid to ask them about that person. You know, don't be afraid that you're going to remind them. Like they haven't forgotten that they lost the person, right? (laughs) Like, (laughs) Oh, I totally forgot. I lost like my brothers and you just reminded me. No, like this is on my mind. I think about it at least once every single day. You're not going to re-traumatize me. So what was Bo like? Bo was a total lover. I mean, Mm -hmm. He he was just so goofy and silly and like, you know, sort of like a, a hippie child yeah. um, in certain ways. Like my, my vision of Bo is, you know, he'd be wearing like these pajama pants that had some loud print over the, all over them. And then, you know, a, a, a tie-dye t-shirt. He was obsessed with tie-dye. Oh, so was Joe. He wore tie-dye. We actually had tie-dye uh, shirts of his at his memorial service, like hanging up by his big photo of him. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. My mom took a bunch of Bose shirts and she had like a bunch of Bose sports jerseys because he played a lot of sports and stuff growing up. And then a bunch of his like t-shirts, t-shirts, and he had so many t-shirts and she had them made into blankets, one for me and one for my mm-hmm. other brother. I love that. And, yeah, that was really cool. But um Look, Bo was a lover. He was like so goofy. He was funny as shit. He was like, at one point he had his like own YouTube channel and he was getting like hundreds of thousands of views. And there was like this company in China that was like sending him things to promote. So he was like an influencer before there were influencers. I think he he was like 10 or 12 years old. (laughs) But what happened was he like got really overwhelmed because he started getting negative feedback and being bullied online uh. and he shut his account down and he deleted all the videos and he like sort of freaked out and you know Bo had anxiety growing up I remember him being like you know anxious and, and hyper and um I mean I, he was never like diagnosed as a kid uh, eventually you know later on he he was diagnosed as having bipolar illness and you know, at the time, like he, I think was trying to self-medicate in various ways. And so, you know, I, I don't, mental health is interesting, right? Like it's like, there are different influences throughout our lives that I think also change our brain chemistry. Definitely, I don't, I don't know when Bo really started to struggle, but, um, and being a human is hard. So it's also like tough for the people around you because, um, you know, I, I think 
sometimes we have people in, people in our lives who we think might be struggling and we're not sure what to do or what to say and we avoid it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, or, or we just believe people when they say that they're fine. And here's the, here's the reality. Most of us are not fine. Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> you know, most of us are not fine. That's why I like the title of my book is at least you look good because people would tell me all the time right after I lost my brother, a year after I lost my brother, while I was getting treated for Lyme, years after I got treated for Lyme, once I, I, I sat down at my psychiatrist's office and she said this exact thing to me. I was like, she, go, I said, she goes, how are you? I said, I feel like shit. And she goes, well, you look great. And I was mm-hmm. like, are you kidding me right now? Right? She was like experimenting all the, with all these meds. I'm very, very sensitive. I, I don't do well on, on medications. And, um, I felt terrible and, and the meds were really messing with me, but I came in and I was wearing these like tight, like fire engine red leggings that were like sparkly and like a crop top. And so she assumed I was feeling good because I was, I was looking pretty good. Yeah. But it's more of a, it's like a facade of what you're actually holding within you, right? You're like, at least I have control over what clothes I put on today and I can, I can make the world like, you know, see me in a certain way, but underneath I'm not, you know, I, I can say I'm fine, but there's so much happening underneath those, those fire hydrant red pants. <laughs> so much. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, so anyways, Bo, Bo was a lover and he was goofy and he was silly and he was the life of the party. And then he had this huge smile and he had this incredible laugh and he had these big dimples and he was like really good looking and mm-hmm. he was a light. You know, he was a light and he always had so many girlfriends and um, <laughs> it's funny, like the guy I'm dating now is someone who I've been friends with for a long time. And, you know, when you start dating someone, you get to know someone in a different capacity. You always see different parts of them. And like, he, there was something that was really familiar about him to me as I started to get to know him in, in this other way. Mm-hmm. And I realized one day I was like, you really remind me of Bo. Like the way that Bo mm-hmm. would love on his girlfriends, like he'd bring a girl home and he'd be like so proud of her. And he'd be Aww. like, mom, this is my girlfriend. And, <laughs> and so at his funeral, there were just like all these young girls, like it's just like so many, right. And girls with tattoos and, you know, girls with um, like super preppy and, so, you know, a girl who had, had, you know, knew, known him at this part of his life. And this, I mean, they just loved to me. It's so many girlfriends. That and- was my, both of my brothers too. We, my family was cracking up because when Jordan died, there was at least four or five. And like a lot of them had driven from other States to be there. Same. And, then, <laughs> and then with Joe, four of them stood up to speak. And it was like, he's my soulmate. He's my twin flame. He's my love of my life. And we're like, oh my God, is there going to be like a girl fight after this? But they were all very loving and kind towards each other. But it was, it was humorous to us because it was so obvious that like all three of these men over here are like, just like these ladies men that like just loved love and, and, and brought people into their hearts. I think is then I think that's beautiful. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. I I think sometimes we see qualities of the people that we've loved and the people that we've lost in other people, and we might not recognize it at first, but that can be incredibly healing too. Like, Mm -hmm. I I don't feel like Bo is gone. And and it's been really interesting. My, My other brother had a baby about six months ago. And I, I write about this a little in my book too. And, um, 
you know, the baby felt, feels really familiar to me. And I don't mm. know what that means. Right. But I, I, I was listening to one of your podcasts and you were talking about how like a, an intuitive or healer had told you like that your brother chose to leave. And yeah. I remember before Bo died, uh, the psychic that I've worked with for many, many years and, and now have a very close relationship with, I, I text my psychic guys. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, she had told me, cause I said, I'm worried about Bo and I'm scared something might happen. I'm scared yeah. something might happen. And she said, look, Katie, here's the deal. She said, if a soul leaves before their time, like if they leave before they've learned all their karmic lessons. And she said, and we all have many exit dates. Mm. So I believe because I've had some weird experiences with my health that I've had exit dates right? Like, it's like you could have gone, like that could have been. Okay. I passed out in the doctor's office one time when I was like getting some sort of treatment and, and, and I had an experience while I was like unconscious of, um, these two figures coming to me and saying like, it's not your time yet. Mm-hmm. Like, so to me, that's like, I was like, oh, that was what that was like weird, but interesting, kind of cool. Right. And so Karen was saying there, you know, you have different exit dates, but we get to choose whether or not to take them. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, if your brother was to take an, an early exit date, she said, what would happen was he would be reborn into the same or a similar family. Ah. And I was like, oh, and then it just like, sort of like, I, 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 I remember telling my dad. And, I, and my parents were not into like this stuff. We grew up very Catholic and I was an altar girl. And, you know, so my parents like, you're doing what with your tarot cards? Like, what, what is all of this stuff? You know, it, are you sure this isn't sacrilegious? I'm like, who cares? If it helps me, it doesn't matter, right? Mm-hmm. And so I remember saying to my dad, like, because I felt my dad was like a little more open. I was like, dad, listen, because Bo was really struggling. And I said, look, this is what Karen said. And I remember my dad had flown down to Florida to, to be with my brother because he had gotten in trouble at school and he was walking the beach and, and calling me and crying. My dad's like a strong Italian man and he's like listening. He's like, wait, what did she say? Okay, all right. And it sort of gave us this sense of peace that like whatever happened with Bo, there would be some sort of healing that came yeah. back. That like he doesn't just get off the hook. Mm-hmm. You don't just get to leave this life, mm-hmm. right? And I remember Karen telling me like soon after he died, she's like, oh, honey, he's in rehab. It's just on the other side. And I was like, he went to a lot of rehabs here too, but that didn't really work, you know? Uh So anyways, it's just, again, like we were talking about this conversation about like, what's the opportunity and, and what's possible. And, you know, we worry, worry, worry. We worry about the worst case scenarios. And I think like, I started to have this really radical thought one day that was like, well, what if Bo comes back? And when he died, I wrote this poem that I read at his funeral that was called Come Back to Me. And I have a tattoo on my um, side that says, come back to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I really hoped and prayed that Bo would come back. And maybe he has in some way, or maybe he will in the future. I, I don't know. But the point is that like, there's always healing to be found. Yeah. But again, I have chosen certain belief systems and, and sought out certain healers and guides that have allowed me to create this sense of healing in my own life. Mm-hmm. And I was the one who kept looking for doctors who could cure my Lyme. Nobody else knew what to do. None of my boyfriends or my parents or I was engaged back. Nobody knew what to do. Mm-hmm. I was the one. 
and that mix of stubbornness and impatience, I think have served me. Absolutely. It's interesting you talked about the the different exit spots too, because I remember talking to a previous psychic of mine and I told her, uh, I had like a premonition when I was little that both my brothers were going to die. This is after Jordan already had. And she's, so I'm of course sitting over here, like freaking the fuck out that I'm going to lose another brother. And she was like, well, Joe's already passed over several times and he's, he had overdosed several times in the past. And so she's like, so he technically, like he has stopped breathing. My mom gave him CPR one time. So like that, that's it. Okay. So like he's, he's sticking around, but it seems like each of those times he, he, he did come back. Like the breath came back into his body. Interesting. And then I, after Joe, Joe did die, I talked to it, my more recent psychic healer and she was like, Jordan was waiting for him and was kind of pissed. Like, Hey bro, go back. Like you're not supposed to be here. And Joe was like, no, like, even if it was an accident, like this is, this is what I truly want. And I don't like this, this time I don't want to. And it was another one of those exit spots that I never really had a name for before. So I am grateful for you for, for sharing that, but it felt like that was the exit that he was choosing to actually get off at and to actually, to actually take. So I'm curious, you know, I I think that the real thing here is like, and, and you're, you know, dealing with like a, a much more recent loss in addition to previous losses, but like we've both lost people and, and like, we're okay. Like we're okay. And we're also not okay. And we have good days and we have bad days and we're in different points of our healing process. And sometimes you think it's gone and then it comes back. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that like the point is you get to decide like whatever you're going through right now. And, and, and maybe the people that are listening, like maybe some of you guys have clients, right. Who are dealing with really big losses and you don't know how to serve them or you think you're incapable of serving them. And, you know, I think one of the things I really struggled with when I was going through the Lyme, the loss of my brother, and then a few months after I lost Bo, I, I, my engagement broke off. Mm. I broke off my engagement slash another loss, another thing to grieve. Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing blew up. My ex committed himself to the psych ward and things sort of unraveled from there. Mm -hmm. But again, a lot of trauma, right? Like he was having a difficult time and, and, um, it became quite traumatic for me as well. And I was re-experiencing a lot of the stuff that I had gone through with Bo because Bo was like, you know, going to the ER and a lot of emergencies and rehabs. Yeah. Yeah. It was hard, but it's like, I had to decide that I was going to live. Bo was not here, but I still was. Mm -hmm. And I had to keep choosing to be here. Mm -hmm it's so easy to like float away when you're reeling from some sort of loss. And it's so easy to like, feel like this is the end of your life because you lost a job or you lost a loved one or your marriage is falling apart or you just found out, you know, he cheated or you cheated or any of it. It's all grief. It's all loss. It's all these big, 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 big life challenges. Mm -hmm. Because you have a business, these things don't like not exist. Yeah. Like the people that you guys are following on Instagram and like think are like these massive influencers and, and, and they may as well be have real problems too. Yeah. 
and they might be talking about it and they might not be talking about it. And we all have stories of people in our lives that we know personally and then professionally, maybe more from afar, who like, we thought everything was great. And then it's like, oh, this big thing happens and you find out this, this other sub story has been happening the whole time in their life. So yeah. you get to decide what you're going to do with the things that you go through in your life. You don't choose every life experience that you have. I don't believe that. Yeah. I don't believe that we're attracting this on that level. I think that maybe, you know, Bo and I had a soul contract and he had a contract with everyone in my family and that on some level, like this was what was going to happen. But I, I my big thing is like, I get to choose what I'm going to do with it mm-hmm. and how I'm going to talk about it and that I'm going to talk about it. Yeah. I was going to ask you, I mean, you kind of already answered the question, but when we're experiencing chronic illness, loss, grief, and all the different flavors that can, can come in, how do we navigate that? How did you navigate that and build a million dollar brand and build a business and continue to serve the world? And I think you have answered parts of that, but I'm just, and that it, and you've mentioned that it's a choice how, how you choose to navigate that. And like, we can uh, also choose to make those things separate. Like we could choose to put all of our, our emotions and the, the real parts of our life over in a box over here. And we could put our business in a box over here and we could keep them totally separate if we wanted to. But I'm just curious what, because you have built such a successful brand and business, how you've maybe used some of that box over to the left that was the, the loss and the grief to actually fuel or inspire the brand that you've created today. You know, my dad said to me one day, I was at my parents' house. This was 2017. I had taken two months off work, which I never had ever done. And I, at that point, had built the company up enough that I could do that. Mm-hmm. It was scary, but I could do it. And I was staying at my parents' house because I was going through my final, what, what ended up being my final round of Lyme treatment. Mm-hmm. And one day my dad was like laying on the floor next to my bed and I was in my bed and I was like complaining about whatever, you know, like all the fucked up shit that had happened. And my dad's like, he's like, you know, reading, like reading on his phone or iPad or something, like sort of listening to me. Right. Cause like, I'm just like the kid who's always complaining. <laughs> and, and I'm like, you know, I'm in my life. I was probably 20, I was 29. So I'm like the adult child who's always yeah. complaining. Right. And he's like, Katie, he goes, I, um, I finally removed the spell. And I go, what are you talking about, dad? You finally removed the spell. And he goes, look, before all this stuff happened, you were like this pretty white girl, grew up in a good family who like went to Vanderbilt. You had no problems. And I was like, I was born into the world thinking I had a lot of problems because I was always having like this existential crisis of like, what am I meant to do with my life? Da, 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 da. But I come from a lot of privilege, like, and a lot of us do, and 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 a lot of us don't. But I, I'm not gonna not admit that. I think there's power in it, admitting that. And I've also had a lot of challenges. And so my dad goes, um, I, I think it's time for me to remove the spell. And I was like, what do you mean? And He's like, look, there, there was nothing interesting about you. This is my dad. <laughs> this is my dad. He's like, there was nothing interesting about you. And I'm like, dad, what? Like, and I'm laughing. Like, he's like, we're like this. He's like yeah. this. So I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, look, you know, now, like, you've got all that stuff that, that you had before. 
But now like you, you're, you've got this fight with Lyme disease, which you're going to beat and you lost your brother and we've started this foundation in his name and we're, we're helping people and, and saving people's lives. And you know, you, you were engaged and now that fell apart and you've got a whole story there. And he's like, now you're really interested. <laughs> Thanks dad. Thanks. <laughs> and like that, that was how I grew up. Right. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, screw you, but thank you. And you know, you could have removed the, sm- the spell a little sooner, but I get it. <laughs> and it was like such a cute moment, but it really embodies the truth here, which is that I have decided to use everything I was given, mm-hmm. everything I was given. And like, that is still a daily process, figuring out how to use what I was given and, and who I'm becoming and how to unbecome certain things that were never mine to begin with. Mm. But I, I've just tried my best to be honest and I've tried my best to show up. And when you ask like very literally, how have I survived and continued to grow and build? It's like brick by brick, day by day, moment by moment. I mean, sometimes it's really a matter of like hour by hour, yeah. you know, like, what do I need now? Okay. What do I need now? Okay. I'm hungry. Let me go eat. Like, it's just this very like, okay, this needs to be tended to. Okay. This needs like Katie needs to be tended to. And it's really just making the best decisions that I can at every moment of the day. And, you know, I have grown a lot of really strong muscles through everything I've been through. Yeah. Like I've actually become really good at making decisions. I am, I have this threshold that other people don't have. I've always been a hard worker, but because I worked when I was sick, because I worked when I was grieving, because I showed up, I would show up for meetings and have to be like, guys, look, I got to leave because I'd be crying. Mm -hmm. But like, I took those risks. Those are risks. Yeah. It's a risk to show up as the CEO of a company when you don't feel fully ready. And I'm not saying I always did things the right way, but I lived by that. I lived by this idea that I still want and need to show up. And I also knew that my business was the thing that was giving me hope and giving me purpose. And sometimes I resented it. Some days I hated it. Some days I thought I was going to give it up completely. I mean, there were years where I was in that place of frustration, Mm -hmm. but I also found the moments where it made me feel alive. And I found the moments where like, I was so, so grateful. And I think it's sort of like this capacity, growing our capacity to hold the good and the quote unquote bad, to hold the positive and the quote unquote negative, to hold the the darkness and the light and the obstacle and the opportunity. Like I grew up thinking things were linear, that things were good or things were bad. Now I know things are both. Mm. You know, my business partner, Olivia Chapman, always says, like, life is a mixed bag. And it's like, life is a mixed bag. Totally. And anyone who thinks it's not, I mean, people look at you, I'm sure. I was looking, you know, at your um, website and just, you know, your, your, the version of you with blonde hair and the version of you with, <laughs> like, brown hair. And I was like, oh, my God, she's just so beautiful and, and, and powerful. And, like, you have this fabulous website. And, 
God, it's just like, I could ask you all the same questions. How did you keep going? How did you keep creating? Yeah. It has been the biggest lesson of my life, navigating chronic illness and loss. And I, chronic illness is a form of loss, but so the loss of my brothers and chronic illness combined have been the three biggest kind of grieving instances in my life. And I just finished reading this book by Francis Weller and it blew my fucking mind. <laughs> and he, it's a book on grief. It's called The Wild Edge of Sorrow. And it opened my eyes to the importance of loss and the space that we need to grieve in our life. Mm. The fact that we, that society as a whole has really turned in this direction of that 10 foot pole. Like you're like, I'm not going anywhere near people's emotions. Keep me away. Mm -hmm. And that that is so opposite of the way our ancestors grieved and the way that there used to be ceremony and ritual around grieving. And so it's reminded me of the importance of being able to create the container for people for people to do that right. and to honor my own grief and my own loss and to let it be important. Like not to just be like, Oh yeah, that happened to me. And like push it over to the side. It's like, no, this happened. And in that instant, I was a victim of it, but I consciously every single day ask a very similar question that you mentioned at the beginning, which is what is the opportunity here? How can I shine a light on the darkest parts of, of my life so that they turn into and transform into my greatest teachers and I use them, mm -hmm. I utilize them and I show up. Yeah. And like, it, you, right. We look at each other, um, website, social media, Instagram posts, and we see this like shiny, bright, like beautiful woman who's like killing it, doing her thing, showing up, like whatever, wearing cute clothes. But that is not the whole story. Like there is so much underneath that shiny picture that made that woman, whether it's you or me or somebody else, who she is today. And I think we just need to remember that there is so much that shaped that, shaped that smile on her face. Um, and maybe it wasn't hard. It wasn't every day is not going to be easy to, to smile, but there's, there's so much to be gained in these hardest moments, hardest moments of our life that can fuel can fuel abundance, can fuel more love, can fuel a deep appreciation and gratitude for every breath we fucking take, right? Like right. I am alive. I choose to, to stay alive. I choose to be here. I choose to be here even though there's pain. Like there's so much that there's so much we can choose to look at and like let it define us in a negative way, or we can choose those things and allow them to define us in a positive way, like illness, mm -hmm. like loss. So I um I'm just so grateful for you and for your, your vulnerability and for your honesty on this conversation today. And I'd just love for you to, to also share anything else about the book that's coming out. It sounds uh, very in line with a lot of what we talked about today. Um, mm -hmm. And just other ways that people can get to know you and learn more about your story and your offers. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I'm so grateful too. And I feel like we're, you know, this is probably the, the beginning of our connection. Um, but yeah, so the book is called At Least You Look Good and it, it's, it's, it's a self-help memoir and I, I go deeper into a lot of these stories 
it's really like an owner's manual to figuring out how to go through loss and learn how to love again. I mean, I really couldn't find, and I read a lot of books and, and all together they helped me get through my healing process, but I really couldn't find, you know, one book or one person or one resource that could be like my friend and my companion through my process. Yeah. And so that was what I created. I've always lived by this, like create the thing you wish existed. And that was what I did. And so, you know, it's, it's a guide and, and there are certain exercises and things to help us get through grief and loss, but it's also like a really vulnerable, honest, gritty share of some of the fucked up shit that happened and how far it got. And, um, what it was like for me, you know, what my journey was like being really sick, losing my brother, the way it impacted my mental health, some of the extreme measures that I ended up having to go through and choosing to go through, getting out of a relationship that ended in court orders and domestic violence classes. And I mean, there's a lot, right? And so it's also funny And that was really important to me that there was like a lot of humor in the tone because like, I'll tell stories now and I'm like, and then my brother died and people are like, why do you say it like that? And I'm like, because it's so messed up that like, you have to laugh about it. Like you have to get to that point. I had to, I don't know about everybody else, but I had to get to that point where, um, and this is why like so many comedians like actually have these really dark childhoods and, and, and past, but I had to get to a point where like I could joke about it, Mm -hmm. you know? And like in my family, like, you know, there'll be like the occasional joke about, about Bo or what, you know, and not out of disrespect, like out of respect because we'd be making fun of him if he was here. Cause we all make fun of each other. Cause you heard my story about me and my dad. Right. So it's like, <laughs> I'm not going to change who I am at the core just because all this messed up stuff happened. I'm going to become more of who I am at the core. Mm, and the I book is that. really my journey doing that. Right. And mm-hmm. so if you're going through loss or if you've gone through loss or Um, which like literally I think is every person, it's not just about being chronically ill or being sick at some point in your life or, um, losing a a sibling or a loved one. It's like any disappointment, you know, I mean, who hasn't gone through a breakup or thought they were going to get a shot at X, Y, Z opportunity. And then it got pulled away. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. we grieve all kinds of things. And I used to think my grief was like more important than other people's. and, And now I really don't. Now my belief is that pain is relative and that, um, you know, certain things that were, were, would have hurt me a lot five years ago are like, ding, and then it's over because I've been through so much more, Yeah, but it's all relative. So what, five years ago, when mm-hmm. my biggest problem was that I didn't know what my purpose was and I didn't know what I would do with my life, that was a huge problem, mm-hmm. you know? And I feel that I was born grieving when Bo died, I was like, oh my God, like this is the grief. It was like something tangible that like explained the grief I had always felt in being a human. And yeah. some people are, are going to be like, oh my God, I get what you're saying. And some people are going to be like, that's so out there. But I think that life comes with like living is also about dying. Like every day that we're living, we're also like sort of dying. Mm-hmm. Right. And And that's like sort of a morbid way to look at it and also sort of just not, it's just very, very real and practical. And it, it, it more, it makes it even more important that every day you be as happy as you can be. Yeah. 
you know, that a reminder to be present with the day that you do have in front of you. Yeah. Right. And like, you know, you have a really fresh loss. Like you might have like two hours of the day where you felt happy Mm -hmm. and then the rest of it might be shit, but it's like you, you celebrate those two hours, you know? And, and, and for me, that's like, that's how it's gotta be. It's the Mm -hmm. only way. So I really believe there's possibility and opportunity on the other side. And what I do now is the moment I lose something, like I'm in a different relationship now, but I was in a different relationship like 90 days ago. Okay. A a different one. And that was a big loss because he had known my brother and we'd been together for a long time. And, um, it was very, very hard. And, and I used the principles I teach in the book. And I said to myself, and this is how I got through the, the breakup. I said, there is nothing that's taken away from you without something else being replaced. Mm. You just don't know what's on the other side yet. Yeah. And I said, but you do know that, that what is on the other side will be better. Right. And and I'm not going to say Bo being gone is better, but I do feel that he's at peace Mm -hmm. and I do feel that he's still alive in a different way. And I do feel that, um, he was suffering towards the end of his life. He was suffering. And so I do feel that now there is peace. It just took a long time for us all to get there. Yeah. I knew that there would be another love and I knew that there would be another relationship. I knew it. I might not have been like believing it in that moment, but I knew it. And I practiced these principles really, really hard. And I, I focused on what I deserved and what I desired And another relationship showed up like so quickly. It was like a miracle, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't a miracle because it was also, well, it was, but I created it because I did the mindset work to get there. So that's Mm -hmm. what the book's about. You can find me online at at innerglowcircle.com. We have, if you guys are interested in diving deeper and figuring out more about what your purpose is, we have a really great assessment that Mm -hmm. takes you through 12 questions to figure out what your purpose is. You can find that at innerglowcircle.com slash purpose. And then you can find me online at it's, at it's Katie DePaula. And I have a new account for myself personally. So come follow me. And then we have a, our company account is at inner glow circle. And we push out a lot of great content on there too. Thank you. I am just so thankful for, again, for you just sharing. And it's so obvious and apparent to me how passionate you are about this work and how much you live it. Like not all coaches, entrepreneurs are like actually in the trenches, doing the work, showing up, transforming their lives. And it is clear to me that you are, you're doing it. You're doing the work, you're showing up. And even when it's hard, we're, we're still here. So thank you so much. And I hope everyone goes over and uh, checks out more about your story and your offers. Thank you so much. You're amazing, Sarah. Today's episode was brought to you by the Illuminated Coach Training Program. This is an eight-month, truly integrative experience that I have put together and curated everything that I wish I had known as a coach as I built my own six-figure empire, and we're going deep. There is a three-day all-inclusive retreat that is included as part of your enrollment And we're going to be covering things like subconscious reprogramming, how to calm and retrain the central nervous system, the emotional freedom technique, which is also known as tapping. We're going to talk about crystal healing as well as vibrational medicine, essential oil alchemy, muscle testing, pendulum work, 
psychic mediumship, and how to truly be an effective coach so that you can change the trajectory of people's lives and get raving reviews from clients. Enrollment is now open. I'm taking applications. There are limited spots available, but if this feels like something that is in alignment for you, that is calling your name, please reach out to me. You can go over to autoimmunetribe.com backslash illuminated, and I'll link it in the show notes. I hope to see you guys there. Thank you.